You are listening to the Lima Community Church Podcast. The following was recorded at Lima Community Church of the Nazarene in Lima, Ohio. I'd love to meet the Apostle Paul. We don't know much about him personally. We, we have some written stuff, not sure how accurate it is. Some say he was small. Some say he had big, bushy eyebrows that kind of met in the middle. Had bad eyes, maybe even cross-eyed. <laughs> but at the end of his life, or, or towards the end, he was making his way to Jerusalem, the end of his third missionary journey. And he stopped at a little place called Miletus, and he sent 30 miles away and had the elders of the church of Ephesus join him there. And here in Acts, the 20th chapter, we have a beautiful, and, and really, if you put yourself there, it's, a, it's, it's emotional, it's poignant uh, encounter with Paul giving his last instructions to these elders. What do you say to people you will never see again? And at the end, you'll, you'll see, they, they weep together. Um, but he, he tells them this. He says, um, I serve the Lord with great humility and tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house, publicly and privately. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. So there he says, this is what I've done. You, you observed this, you saw this. And now he goes and he says, uh, and this is what's coming next. He said, and now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are, are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and to complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. My, my life's not worth anything to me. I only want to finish my task. And then he turns to them and he gives them some instruction. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. You remember when you fly, I've flown so much, I've got these, you know, put your tables and they're locked in upright positions, right? They say, if, if the cabin depressurizes, gas mask will, will fall, put your mask on first and then help your children, meaning you've got to take care of yourself first. That's what he said here. Keep watch over yourselves. Be careful. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock, even from your own number. Men will distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. I've warned you now. Be careful. And he reminds them, I've not coveted 
anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourself know that these hands of mine have supplied all my needs and the needs of my companions. He, he wasn't going to be a burden on them. He worked. He was a tent maker. And he supplied the needs of those who worked with him. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, who said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. This is the only quotation of Jesus we have outside of the four gospels. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. And they all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. And so this beloved apostle who had spent three years in Ephesus, the longest he had spent anywhere in his missionary journeys, he spent three years with them. He developed this church. He put his life into this church. He loved these elders, and, and now he has instructed them for the last time. The book of Ephesians, which we have studied all summer, was written um, probably, no one knows for sure, but probably around A.D. 60 to 62. One of the last books of the Bible, if not the last written, was the book of Revelation, the Revelation of John, which was written you know, somewhere in A.D. 95, maybe to 97. So 30 years after um, um, Paul wrote the book of Ephesians, and even longer since he gave these final instructions to the Ephesian elders, we read some of Jesus' words in Revelation. Um, Edmund Burke was a uh, politician in the late 1700s. And uh, he, he opposed taxation for the American colonies. He opposed the French Revolution. Um, many people count him as kind of the founder of our modern conservative movement. And he said this, very seldom does a man take one giant step from a life of virtue and goodness into a life of vice and corruption. Usually he begins his journey into evil by taking little steps into shaded areas. Areas tainted with color just a bit. Almost unnoticed to those around him. Until one day, hardly aware that he has made the journey, he finds himself firmly entangled in a life of vice and corruption, unquote. And so we'll see, this is what's happened. Uh, Jesus, in, in Revelation, has a word for seven churches. All seven churches are now in the country of Turkey. In fact, about 80% of the book of Acts happens in the country of, of Turkey. And I, I was there, I visited there I was in Ephesus. I saw where we presume that Paul lived in a little cave up on the hill. And uh, Jesus addresses the seven churches. And the first one he addresses 
is the church at Ephesus. And let's look at it. He says, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. Good job, he says. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. That's exactly what Paul said do. But among you, savage wolves will rise. Be careful, right? They, they were, they did. You have persevered, Jesus says. You have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Good job, good job, good job. All good stuff. And then he says, yet, I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Another translation, you have forsaken your first love. How does one do that? How does one forsake the first love? In a word, in one word. Gradually. Gradually. Maybe you used to pray a lot, but gradually you didn't pray as much and then didn't pray as much and then almost stopped. Maybe you used to give a lot, but then began to give less and then a little less and then maybe not at all. Maybe you used to share your faith a lot, but then not as much and then not as much and then maybe not at all. What is a first love? <laughs> it's a love that overwhelms us. It's fresh and it's, it's new. We can't believe that Jesus loves us like this. And we respond to his love with reckless abandonment. First love is the love that brought us to God. We, we saw the cross for what it was. We saw his sacrifice for us. We realized it was for us. And we became overwhelmed by his grace and his great love. And we gave ourselves to him. With reckless abandonment, we gave ourselves to him. And we experienced his cleansing, his forgiveness. That is first love. And first love doesn't worry about Mountains of troubles. First love understands that griefs and worries are bound to come. First love doesn't trip over the stumbling blocks that are placed in our path. First love, trust. First love believes. First love continues to hope. First love has no doubt of the power of God. So how does one lose their first love. In a word, one word, gradually, very gradually. We should take care of first love, and we do, at least for a season. But eventually, life keeps coming at us. And there are seasons when there's a never-ending supply of problems. And we get distracted slowly. 
You know, in scripture, marriage is often used as a metaphor to describe our relationship with the Lord. And you know how this goes. Two people fall hopelessly and helplessly in love. They spend all of their time together. They, they talk well into, into the night. This strange, silent type of guy who never says two sentences now talks for hours and hours and hours. They look at each other sometimes without saying anything. They share things with one another they've never shared with anyone else. And when they aren't together, all they think about is getting back together. And they count the minutes. And then finally, they come and stand in front of me or some other pastor. And we say vows and they repeat them and they become man and wife. And I try to tell them, it's not always going to feel this way. They don't believe me. I tell them, you've seen each other at your best. You've yet to see one another at your worst. I tell them that it might be five years or 15 years or 25 years, but sooner or later, they're going to wake up before their spouse does and they're going to look across the bed and they'll see sleep crusted in their eyes. They'll see dried drool rolling out of their mouth. They'll see their hair discombobulated in a bad hair day. And they'll slap themselves and say, what was I thinking? <laughs> and to prove my point, I have them turn around and I say to those at the marriage ceremony observing it and supporting it, I say, isn't that right? And all the couples say, yeah, hmm, that's, uh, that's about right. <laughs> they couldn't see it at their marriage ceremony. But over the years, it becomes quite clear. They both have jobs that are demanding with all kinds of appointments to be kept. And the stresses they have to deal with begin to mount and then there's arguments, small at first, but then not so, and problems, and then kids, and bills, and in-laws, and family feuds, and a bunch of other stuff, and gradually, very gradually, the marriage begins to take on new character, and it's a character that left to its own devices will destroy their marriage if they don't pull up and come to their senses. This happens in marriage, marriages. And it happens in our relationship with God. Gradually, very gradually, we forget and we get busy and we begin to go through the motions. All the while, something inside is dying. And we become like the people of Ephesus who do all of these wonderful things out of duty, out of obligation. But the love that once was behind it no longer is. About two and a half months ago, 
I received an email from a member of our congregation. And she had never sent one before. And I have great respect for this person. She said, Doug, I don't know what this means. But I sense the Lord telling me to tell you to revisit your first love, to recapture your first love. And I spent a lot of time with that. It was about that time that our denomination had a a series of of, uh, church services down in St. Mary's. It's called The Gathering. Many of you came to it. The choir sang one night. And it begins on a Monday night and goes all the way through Saturday. Maybe Sunday night it began and goes through Saturday. I went down thinking that's about all I'll do. Um, But I I couldn't help but go. I, I went almost every day. I went to the morning service and the evening service and And God began to speak to me. And I determined that I am going to go out the way I came in. I came in as an evangelist, passionate about men and women giving their lives to the Lord. Passionate about seeing them grow. And it's not that I no longer believed in that. But I was fulfilling a duty. This year and a half or getting year and a half of COVID really did a number on me. And I found myself going through the motions. And I had lost my first love. By the grace of God, it's being recaptured. What's the solution to this? Well, the next verse says, consider how far, how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things that you did at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Do you remember? (laughs) Do you remember what it was like in that season of first love? I do. Oh, man, I do. I was a teenager. I bought a Bible. It was a living living Bible uh, paraphrase. It was just the New Testament, and it had a cover, uh, and and the name of it, it was the Holy Bible, of course, but it said, Reach Out on the front cover, and it had pictures of people in the letters. It was way cool, man. It was really cool. I read it till I fell asleep, and I woke up, and I began to read. And I was a new Christian, and I... After getting through John, I thought, boy, a lot of these books sound an awful lot alike. <laughs> the gospel's telling the same story. And I read it, and I read it, and I loved. Consider how far you've fallen. And secondly, Jesus says, repent. Repent. You know, this is a word that is often neglected today. And yet, when John the Baptist began to preach, the first word out of his mouth every time he spoke was, repent. 
The kingdom of heaven is at hand. When Jesus sent out the 70 two by two, he told them the first words out of their mouth were to be repent. Repent. It's a strong word. It has a lot of implications. When you repent, you look at your sin. You look at your life. And you see how far you have fallen. You see its ugliness and its horribleness. And you don't try to deny it. And you don't blame it on someone else or something else. It's your burden. You made it. You face the reality of it. And finally, you say, God, I can't take this. It's too heavy for me. And God says, you're right. Welcome home. Welcome home. And he reaches down and he lifts the burden. And that's when healing takes place. And that's when love, first love, is restored. We repent over the things that took Jesus' place. The habits that we've instituted that by themselves are good stuff. You know, you read this many minutes or this many chapters, you pray this long. But if it's done just because it has to be done, it's stuff. We repent over the opinions of others that have wounded us. And we repent over our opinions that have wounded others. We repent over this little sin and that one and that one. Of this doubt and that one. Of this hurt that we receive that we didn't deserve. And we lay it down. What often happens is when we lose our first love, we... We simply replace Jesus with other things. Maybe you have. As a pastor, I gotta tell you, I find it easy to do. Because there are some weeks when it's just coming at you nonstop. And without thinking, it can become a duty. I found that I had replaced Jesus with duty. So did the Ephesians. They did all the right things, but they did them out of duty, out of obligation and not out of love. So to them, he said, repent. In a while, we'll stand together We'll give you a chance to do that and we'll open the altar. Maybe the Lord's speaking to some of you as he has to me. The last thing Jesus said to do was this. Do the things you did at first. What was that? What did you do at first that you no longer do? It's not real complicated. We go back and we recapture what we did. 
we redo what we once did. We recognize how far we have fallen. We remember that which is lost. We repent of trying to serve him minus loving him. And we return to him by doing what we once did. Would you bow your heads with me? My Father in heaven, I pray that the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, will speak to hearts now. Will share this awesome love that is ours for the taking. I pray in this room, in a moment, you will hear prayers of repentance. Prayers asking for forgiveness. Vows to recapture what was lost. Holy Spirit, we recognize that you are as much God as the Father is, as the Son is. And we recognize that one of the things you do is draw us into the heart of the Father. I pray that happens now. Would you stand where you are? And I wonder, I wonder if the Lord isn't speaking to some folks. I wonder if he isn't saying, it's time. It's time. You've lost your first love. It's time. And if that's you, I invite you to come forward and kneel and offer your life in repentance. I repent, Lord. It's not who I want to be. I give my life back to you. Would you come if he's speaking to you? I know the Lord's speaking. I know he is. Who else? Sure. Who else? My Father in heaven, I pray you will do battle with a spirit of fear that paralyzes us at times like these. When we know what we want to do, but out of fear, we don't. I pray that you will strike it dead and allow us to respond as our hearts desire. Who else? Sure, that's right. Who else? this open along. Who else? 
Right now, your heart's beating fast. Your palms are sweaty. The Lord's talking to you. Who else? heaven we thank you for the still quiet small voice that has spoken to us some have responded some are still wrestling and I pray that those who are wrestling would not win the match but will surrender to you thank you for loving us as you do thank you for your forgiveness Thank you for second chances in 14th and 59th. (laughs) Thank you. I pray that you will dismiss this great crowd in your grace and your love. This week, would they give and forgive and love as they have been given to and forgiven and loved? May we be your church. And may the gates of hell not prevail against it. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. On your way out are collection boxes if you'd like to participate. It's a huge help. God bless you, friends. You're welcome to stay here and pray as long as you want. You're welcome to come down if you still would like to. Thank you for listening. For more information about our church, visit limacommunitychurch.com.